0: This morning, if you have a Bible, go to the book of Philippians is where we're going uh, to be. Uh, Last week, we finished our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so now we're going to open up the book of Philippians. I think they tie uh, very well together. And so I'm excited for uh, this journey that will be on uh, this morning and throughout the next uh, few weeks. We'll see how many weeks uh, we uh, have, but uh, just a note maybe even save in your Bible uh, some passages of scriptures because we'll be in Philippians, but we're going to spend a good chunk of our time in Acts 20. And then close it out in Acts 16. And so we're kind of going to jump around a little bit. I think just like when we introduced the book of Ecclesiastes, we uh, gave a lot of background. And uh, some books of the Bible you don't need as much. But I think it was appropriate uh, today to get kind of set the stage uh, for what we're going to see this morning and throughout this journey together, I will also note that I have two endings for the first time, uh, and we'll see which one I choose. One of the endings only gets to uh, through two verses of Philippians; the other gets through eight. You can guess which one's longer. And so, uh, if you get tired, just stand up, and I'll go through the first ending. No, I'm just kidding, but uh, we'll see where we where we get. Um, and so, I'm excited. We've entitled this series together: "Finding Joy Right Where You Are." Finding joy. Right where you are, when you think of the book of Philippians, oftentimes what resonates with Philippians is joy. And so we're going to talk a little bit of that essence today. Philippians will note the word joy or a similar word glad about 19 times in this text. And it's overall, uh, no doubt, the theme of this book. Uh, And the Bible speaks much of joy. Oftentimes we'll hear passages uh, throughout joy. The Old Testament, a few would be there's a joy of marriage in Proverbs 5, verse 18. There's the joy of children. In Psalm 113, there's the joy of deliverance. In Psalm 63, I think it is, verse 11. There's, There's even the joy of Israel returning, the people of Israel returning to the place of Israel in Jeremiah 31. There's a lot of places where joy is filled throughout the text of God's word. But when we look at joy in the New Testament, although there are joyful occasions of celebration, like going back to the place or or deliverance, there's there's also a section of joy that's suffering. And and so uh, that is uh, how can we have joy through Through suffering, the New Testament joy can oftentimes be, on the surface level, very uh, difficult to achieve. How can I get to this place? How can I live in this light? Because the reality is there are seasons in which we do not feel joyful. We do not feel like having joy. And so how can we have joy when uh, our job's on the line? How can we have joy when we have a prodigal child? How can we have joy when uh, life isn't going how we planned, where sickness hit our house where there's procedures coming up, where there's pain in our lives, where the girlfriend said, and the girl said, no, again, how, how can we have joy when things don't exactly go our way? Well, Paul will show us how, and the New Testament shows us that we can still have joy and suffering. I'm reminded of Hebrews 12, verse 2, when the Bible says that Jesus looked past the horror of the cross because of the triumph that was beyond it. He says it this way in Hebrews 12, verse two, for the joy set before him being Jesus, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, that there was joy through Struggle because of the triumph that was beyond it, because of the hope of heaven, because uh, he paid for the remissions of our sins. And so uh, although he did not, although he, it wasn't necessarily, uh, he wasn't ex- exploding joy during the pain of the cross, he was able to, endure it with joy because of what it was accomplishing, accomplishing for us. First Peter chapter 4 will give us a similar situation where it says that suffering in the life of a believer actually unites us closer to Jesus because of the suffering which Jesus has done for us. It, it unites us. Suffering can bring us joy. First Thessalonians also tells us to rejoice always. And so how do we do that? How can we live a life of Rejoicing: it can feel impossible, because there are seasons in which we do not feel like being joyful, but in reality, uh, we, in the reality, we're called to live a joyful life. But so often We can look at sections of scriptures and different themes in scriptures like the theme of joy, how how we're supposed to be joy-filled believers. We can look at joy and and kind of view it as just another one of those impossible suggestions that the Bible says for us to follow that we don't actually think about much throughout our day. And so we don't actually live that joyful of lives because we think living a joyful life can be uh, semi-next to impossible. But the Bible will show us that a life of joy isn't based on your feelings but it's based on God filling up your life. That you can live a life of joy even when you don't feel like it because of how Christ is filling your life and is moving your life and we see that in the apostle Paul. And so let me start by asking a question that we'll ask a thousand times throughout this series together. Are you joyful right where you are? Are you joyful right where you are every single day of your life, each moment that you take, uh, are you uh, exposing joy? Are you, are you uh, pouring out joy because of who's filling up your, your life because of what's filling up your life? Let's define a couple terms before we dive in because when you think of the word joyful, often things, two, com- two things come to mind, happy and joy, right? Happy and joy, which one is it? If I were to survey the room, I don't know how many people are here this morning, but if I were to survey the room and said, what makes you happy? There would be a lot of different responses. A lot of good responses too. Family makes me happy. Income makes me happy. Work makes me happy. Education makes me happy. Uh, spouses make me happy. Whatever. Faith makes me happy. Whatever. There would be a lot of different things. There, there would be uh, very little matches. Uh, not, like not everybody would come to one conclusion on, on, on the rip. Uh, at the end of the day, when we're really pride onto it. We are in church. We, we may say, oh, God makes me happy. right? But, but what makes you happy every single day? We'd come up with different conclusions because I don't like the same things that you like and you don't like the same things that that I like that's not how life works and what we find is that happiness is dependent upon your circumstances what we find is happiness is dependent on your happenings what's happening in your life often dictates how happy in which you are we see this in the life of Solomon that we saw in Ecclesiastes for 16 weeks what was Solomon Solomon did a lot of things that made him happy in the present tense but it never brought lasting joy to his life. Paul will show us what will. Paul will show us what will give us lasting joy because joy is different. Happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is fixed. You can say this way, happiness is based on the external. Joy is based on the internal. Joy is based on what's filling up your heart. What has your heart? What has your life? And this book will show us that we can find joy right where we are. And he echoes Joy all throughout. Chapter one, he says, I, rejo- I, I always pray with joy. Verse eight says, I rejoice. Verse 18 says, I continue to rejoice. He goes into chapter two and he says, be glad and rejoice with me. Chapter three, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Then he goes a step further in chapter four and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. He, he, we, what we see is joy in the Lord spews off every page of this book and it should spew out of our lives too. It should be something that resonates with us, and not only is it just a feel good, but it should motivate how we live, how we interact, and what we do. And it did for Paul, and it should also for us too. Philippians was written in around sixty two A. D. by Paul. Paul was in prison, and we'll give a little bit of background of that imprisonment once we get to Acts sixteen, or sorry, Acts twenty. Uh, we'll see a little bit about that. But Paul's life was in no way, shape, or form easy. Paul's circumstances in his life was actually extremely difficult and I think it's appropriate to kind of see where Paul was because this is who's writing this book of joy in our life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it will be up on the screen but you can flip there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 will actually summarize some harsh realities in the life of Paul. And I think it's important to understand this. This is what it says. He says this, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool with far greater labors. He says, I've worked harder. I've had far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep, meaning I've been just stranded at sea. It, verse twenty six in journeys often and in, in, in pearls of water robbers dangers of mine own countrymen pearls from Gentiles in the city in the wilderness at sea among false brothers in weariness and toil through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst fasting often in cold and nakedness he says I've had my fair share of struggles. If anyone chose to abandon a life of joy, it could be Paul because he's faced some difficult things. He goes down this list. This is some things that I've had to endure. If that wasn't bad enough, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 will tell us that he had this thorn in his flesh that tormented him day and night. And it just constant, was a constant reminder of pain in his life. And yet he, this guy, was able to maintain a state of joy and write a letter filled with joy. How? Because of the source of his joy. Because of the joy that was internally taking place, that was externally coming out of his life. Paul was able to have this because of where he found joy. That's what Solomon missed. He missed the essence of where to find joy. Paul found it and he found it in the Lord. And so he was able to live in a perpetuate state of joy because of the internal things that were now coming out externally. And this is twofold for Paul. Obviously, Paul was a believer, the road to Damascus, but but the essence of a joy-filled life was two things. First of all, he had confidence in a sovereign God. He knew, I don't know, Lord, what's gonna happen with my happenings, with my circumstances, but I know you won't forsake me, Lord. I know you won't turn your back on me. I know you have a purpose for my life. He, he shows us this all throughout his writings, that God has greater purposes for his life. And so he had confidence in a sovereign God and he was able to live in that light. Second Corinthians, we just read it. If you continue reading, He'll go on to say this is my struggles and he'll go on to say, hey, I am very weak. I am so weak and the only way that I am good is because of God. The only way that everything I have, God gets the glory for it because I am myself is really nothing. Is a summarization of what he says. He says it's all because of a sovereign God. But the second thing is is this, he had confidence in the hope of heaven. And the confidence and the hope that he had in heaven changed the, the life that he lived today changed the life that he devoted to living. And his hope was not for this life. His hope was not for a stage and a presence and fame. His hope was heaven. He actually will say in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, it says this, For this light of monetary affliction is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I, it's a fascinating passage of scripture to me that he says for this light monetary affliction over here, the pain that I have in this life, the, the imprisonments that I face, the persecution that I face, the beatings that I face here, they're just, they're, just, they're just a moment. It doesn't even pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that he will have. Well, What's his focus? His focus is not on the affliction that he's facing. His focus is on one day being in the presence of Jesus. That although he's going to face some difficult times, at the end of the day, he gets Jesus. He gets to be in the presence of of his King. His, His promise was the hope of his confidence, rather, was in the hope of heaven. And that hope of heaven made today for Paul a little easier because he knew where he would be one day. He knew it was just a matter of time until he found, until he saw Jesus again, the hope of heaven. Have you ever been, have you ever planned a vacation but you still had a few weeks or days left of work and you plan this, this big vacation, you're excited and you're anticipating. And, but you, then you have to get up the next day and go to work until the vacation comes. But the, the, the circumstances in your life never change because you're still going to work that week. You're still doing school that week, but you know what's coming. And so the stress, of work, the frustrations at work, the stress of finals, the, the stress of school, the, the pain that you endure week after week is a little lighter because your perspective is different, because you know, it's just a matter of time, till I'm laying on the beach, I'm on the cruise, Tom I'm baking my body, It's just a matter of time till I'm with family. And so, and so it seems a little lighter. That's how Paul lived. Paul lived in a state that he says, it's just a matter of time until I'm with Jesus again. And so I, I'm, I'm going to place my confidence there. And so Paul was able to live a life of joy that we'll find in Philippians because he lived in that light. Because it's just a matter of time. And it makes me wonder what if, what if we would live in that light? Where it was just a matter of time until we were in the presence of Jesus. It's a matter of time until we're in heaven again. I mean, if I lived in that light more often, it would change my speech, it would change how, how I lived, it would change the choices I, I made, it would change my generosity level, it would change how often I serve, it would change uh, what I want to do, it would change my gospel imprint on this community, because if I live in the light that, hey, this could be the day I see Jesus, Paul did, and so should we, he'll show us, and so uh, that, is, that is Paul. We see that Paul's life was passionate to live out the gospel because the promise of heaven was massively overshadowing the affliction that he faced today. Remember Nehemiah? Nehemiah's helping leading them rebuild the walls and they, play, they, they come across a season of depression and sadness. And what's Nehemiah say to them? I'm going to paraphrase. He says, the joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think it's important to set the stage a little bit this morning because that's, if you want joy, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you want to overcome obstacles, if you want to let go of bitterness, if you want to have joy flowing through your life, it's solely coming through Jesus it's solely coming from the strength of the lord because in of yourselves you can never overcome but through jesus you can have joy and paul will show us how to do That And so as we go through this series, remember that joy can only be sustained from a relationship with Jesus. And although I may not be happy, I can be joyful because I have Jesus. And so uh, this morning I want to lay the foundations with three unexpected things throughout. Probably uh, knowing the time, uh, the first, uh, we'll go with uh, probably ending on the first one. We'll get through two verses probably this morning. And so uh, notice a couple unexpected keys in the foundation to the church of Philippi. Let's read verse 1. It says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through. The pages of this book, as we journey for the next few weeks together, through the pages of Philippians, Lord, I pray that our lives will, will be a life of joy, that we'll let go of some things that hold us back from living in line of joy, and that we'll find strength in you, because solely in you that we can attain joy because of you. So Lord, move in our midst, and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want you to see a couple unexpected things. The first thing I want you to see is there were unexpected leaders. Unexpected leaders. Says Paul and Timothy, bond (coughs) servants of Jesus Christ. Paul, the author; Timothy, the associate. The first one's Paul. Paul, formerly known as Saul. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably uh, known that. And so, I'm not going to go a ton into Saul's uh, conversion at the road of Damascus. You can look at that if you want. But here's the essence of Saul before he was Paul. He was he was brutal. He was legalistic, he was, a, he was a, a religious Pharisee with no joy in his life at all. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, Luke will give a reference to Saul, now Paul. He'll give a reference and say that he, his, his heart, his, his words were breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. That the very motives in which Saul lived was to cause havoc on the case of the gospel. But then we read that, that his life has changed and, and something radical and dramatic happened in his life when he met Jesus and he found joy and then it changed. He didn't wanna cause havoc in the case of the gospel. He wanted to declare the gospel. His life drastically changed because he found joy in the Lord. That's who uh, Paul was. So much of a change that when Paul begins his missionary journeys and he begins to, to minister and we get all the way to chapter 20. And so if you have a Bible, Acts twenty is where we're kind of going to start. He goes all the way to Acts 20. And I want you to notice Acts 20 because there's a radical change that takes place. From Acts 9, I want to kill the gospel, to Acts 20, I will die for the gospel. There's, there's a drastic change in the life of Paul. And it's solely found in, in the strength that he found in the, jo- the, the Lord and the joy that, that is, is found living in line with the Lord, where he says, I want to kill the gospel, and now I have so much joy that I will die for it. Here's what he says, Acts 20, verse 22. See now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. I love that word. I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except he does know this. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying chains and tribulations await me. Wow, I think Paul knew everywhere he went, he would face afflictions and chains and persecution. He knew a man who who, who helped simulate the persecution. One day he said, that "He will now face it." And he knew the Holy Spirit that everywhere you go, people are going to oppose you. Everywhere you go, people are going to hate the gospel in which you preach. I don't know about you, but but maybe a little hesitation happening. Like I don't want to get fired from the job. I don't want to. I don't want to get killed. I want to to life in prison, but this is what he says. None of these things move me. That nah. doesn't matter. He's got a message to declare. He's got something to preach. He, he's got a gospel. He's got people to reach. He has a passion to pursue. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself. That my life is Christ. He goes on, he says, so that I may finish my race, what did you say, with status and position, no, with joy. Well, this is the goal. I want to finish my race with joy as the ministry which I received from the Lord, I will testify to the, of the gospel in the grace of Jesus. What a life of joy. It says, hey, no matter what happens to me, cool, whatever happens, doesn't really matter. I'm going to live a life of joy. I'm going to to declare the gospel. I'm going to preach uh, to to all. And that was his difference. And this time, the elders of Ephesus, if you read back in Acts 20, they actually tell him not to go. They tell him that this would occur. Hey, hey, don't go. I know you want to go to Jerusalem, but people are going to arrest you there. Don't go. Stay here with us. And, And what's Paul do? He says, that's what he says. He says, I'm bound to go. I don't care what happens. The Holy Spirit's already told me, hey, persecutions, chains may come, but I'm going. I have a message to declare for the Lord. And what a difference. Acts 9, I want to kill the gospel. Acts 20, I want to declare it. And so he goes. He goes to Jerusalem. Sure enough, church at Ephesus was right. Sure, they're writing a letter to Paul, like I told you, right, while you're in prison. I'm not sending you money now, whatever. Uh, They knew he was, they were right. So what happens? He's arrested. He gets shipped to Caesarea. There in Caesarea, it spends about a year and a half, two years, and he knows the whole time they're just really plotting. They're trying to get enough weight to sentence him, sentence him to death, and so he appeals his case to Caesar. He has that right as a Roman citizen, and so Jerusalem has to ship him off to Rome. There, the ship uh, he's shipwrecked. The ship sunk, and so he finally makes his way to Rome, and he's in prison. The church of Philippi sends him uh, uh, some encouragement, and Philippians is his response. And that's the book of Philippians, his response to the gift in which they received. And as we go through this letter, I think it's important to understand that he was an unexpected leader, but also the position in which he was in, because he's writing a passage of filled with joy, but he in fact is in great suffering, years in prison. Jerusalem in prison, Caesarea in prison, Rome now in prison, a season of waiting, not knowing am I going to die? Am I going to get released? Life in prison is Rome going to uh, all just have a, this massive revival. I have no clue what's going to take place and he gets this gift. What many of us would view as hey, this is wasted opportunity. Paul is Paul is is the goat in the way for missionaries. Like Paul should be like God like, chains off, break the prison again. Let him go out and let him win people. You should have let him go up. You just let him do something else. Why would you tell him to go to Jerusalem in the first place? But here we are. And what Solomon had it all, kingdoms and everything, and he, he was empty. Paul is in prison and he's filled with joy. And this is the text in which we read. That's Paul. Timothy. Timothy came from a tough home situation. Timothy's grandmother was Eunice and his mom Lois, Jewish ladies. His, uh, his dad was a Greek unbeliever. And so Paul would have came uh, into his city and his mom and grandmother and Timothy around 15 probably would have been saved. And so his mom says, hey, Timothy, you can go. And Paul mentored Timothy. Timothy went along the journey. Paul was able to disciple him. So much so that uh, he'll send Timothy to to give this letter to the church. And later on in Philippians, he'll actually say that I send Timothy because I have no one uh, more like-minded than Timothy. Because he mentored him. He guided him in the way. And so Paul, Timothy, unexpected leaders unexpected leaders, but the reason in which they were leading is because of what happened internally in their lives. And they were willing to submit their lives to follow Jesus with everything. Because the reality in this text is you'll see that Paul and Timothy lived a life of joy, but they were not pursuing joy. They were pursuing Jesus. And joy was a byproduct of pursuing Jesus that's why when people oftentimes will come to church and and you know one of the, one of those people who are kind of be in and out and they'll say I just I just need some I just need some joy I just need to I just and, and they assume that Christianity is just going to lift them out of their their pits and give them prosperity and that that's not it joy is is not found in a direct pursuit joy is a byproduct of following Jesus and so they live this because their what's happening internally was was coming out externally in their Lives And so it says that they're bondservants of Jesus Christ. They're committed, but a bondservant is a douloi. What a douloi is, was if you were a slave and you paid your dues, you were no longer viewed as a slave, you were free. You had, you had choices. You could leave, you could do whatever you want, or you could become a bondservant, which is essentially saying you're voluntarily submitting yourself back to the master. Uh, I'm, I'm voluntarily still going to stay and serve you. That, that, that's a picture of, uh, of the gospel, essentially. That when Jesus cleanses us, He saves us. That we should have a desire to voluntarily commit our lives to Him and pursue Him. Paul and Timothy did that. They lived that. They they showed that they voluntarily, excuse me, as bond servants, devote their lives after Jesus to pursue God. And so, notice that it, that it wasn't they weren't searching for joy, but it was a byproduct because they were following. Passionately, they're passionately following Jesus. We live in a country that uh, gives us uh, that, that, as we saw in this last series, that search for happiness and search for joy, even in our Declaration of Independence. We, what do we have? We have life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. A happiness and joy is something that we all crave to experience, but, he, but the Bible will show us it's not found in circumstances, it's found in Christ. It's found in a pursuit of. After Jesus, you could say it this way, joy is found when Christ is preeminent in your life. That's when joy is found, when Christ is preeminent. So the question is, is Christ preeminent in you? What do you mean? Is he chief of your life? Is he he triumphing over all? Is he rise above all? Does he guide every path that you take? Is he preeminent in your life? Unexpected leader. Secondly, notice this, the unexpected place. You had unexpected leaders, then you had an unexpected place to the saints in Jesus Christ who were in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. Philippi was an unexpected place because Paul never intended to go there. During Paul's second missionary journey, I have a map here of Paul's second missionary journey. Paul was going to start in Jerusalem. He makes his way to Antioch, to Tarshish, to Elystria, And there, this is obviously the direction in which Paul went, but he was going to go up towards Asia. That was his plan. Go up towards Asia, Acts 16, you can see that. He was gonna go up in that direction, but God changed his plans. God said no, and I think this is so fascinating. This was an unexpected place because the church of Philippi started because the Holy Spirit of God closed a door. I think it's important for us as believers to understand that, that, that there, was, there was this text in which we read that will encourage us for the next few weeks is here, because God closed the door, and sometimes when God closes doors in our lives, we we think, "God, what are you doing?" God, I wanted to do that. No, no, God has God has a plan. Remember, He trusted that God; He had confidence in a sovereign God, and so He He did it in that light. Uh, Acts chapter sixteen, verse six will show us this. Uh, whenever Paul wanted to get up to to, um, to Asia, it says this. Now, when they had gone through uh, Pydra or however you say that, to the region of Galatia, uh, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word into Asia. They're forbidden. He, he closed the door. If you were to interview Paul pre this verse, Paul, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to go make my way up to Asia. I got it all mapped out. This is the second time I'm a pro now at this business of being a missionary. I've got everything kind of laid out. And then, he re- then, then the Holy Spirit says that. and he said, oh guess I'm not going there. All right, Paul, where are you going? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You, you, you're gonna, God's going to use you to write 13 books of the Bible. You should know kind of every step so you would think, call where you at. And then he gets a vision in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night from a man of Macedonia. And he stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now for he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And I love this, that Paul submitted to God, even though it wasn't in his plans. He submitted to God's ways. And I don't know about you, but I stand there and ask myself, what would I do? What would I do? If, when God closed the door, from, from something that I had long anticipated to doing, maybe even plotted out. I would like to think, hey, uh, I, I would submit to him, but, but I have to question what would I do in that moment? And this wasn't a Jonah in the well type of scenario where he was rebelling against God. Paul was on a second missionary journey trying to do something for God, doing the work of God, but he was going to a place that God didn't want him to go. And so he changed his, his path. What, what, would, what would I do? What would you do? I would, I would wanna say that I would submit to his plan, but, but oftentimes I would think I'd be frustrated in the very least. I may submit, but it may be a Jonah-type submission, not a Paul-type submission that we see. What would we do? Because the place in which Paul expected to preach changed, but the message that Paul expected to preach did not, and so he went to Macedonia, and he was excited for the journey, uh, and, and so we should too. Oftentimes, I, I think that resonates with me too that there are people in my life who I think that God's going to allow me to impact that are not actually the people who God wants me to impact in the moment in which we're in, but God has other people for us to reach and the message remains the same, although the people may change or the people may not be who we expected to reach, but there are people, there are, there's a message in which we're called to, to preach. And so sometimes we just have to look up and look out, out at those around us and he was submitted to the Holy Spirit's leading. And so Paul, Silas and Timothy, they go to Philippi and here Philippi started. Philippi was the chief city of Macedonia, Philippi was founded by Philip of Macedon, uh, Alexander the Great's dad in like 350 B.C. Philippi was was very important because there was a main trade road between uh, where, kind of Rome, Rome down here and Asia. There's this made trade route. And so you can look up many battles were fought. Many kings were killed right here near Philippi because it was such a, a common ground that everybody wanted. And so Paul gets to Philippi and he's probably looking for a Macedonian man, remember the vision? Come, help, a Macedonian man. And not only does he find no man, but he finds no synagogue. When he went to a city, he oftentimes would go look for a synagogue. There, there being no synagogue, probably just told you that this was a heavily Gentile area. Uh, or there was just not ten Jewish men. In order to have a synagogue in this day, you had to have ten Jewish men. Women did not count. It was called, the, it was called a minion. Now, I'm not going to really have time to explain what that is. But there was none. And so there were some women praying down by the river. And so Sabbath day came. Paul goes down to the river. He begins to pray and he meets Lydia. Lydia gets saved. The Bible says God opens up her heart. She's saved, invites him into her house. A couple of days pass. God seems to be working, but usually God works in different ways. Paul goes to a synagogue and usually more than just one comes to know faith. It comes to faith. And so uh, he's not working as big, but God is working. He meets a demonic slave uh, lady and uh, through the power of God heals her, but that causes problems. You remember Acts 16 and so they're arrested, they're beaten in the streets, and they're put in prison. And I'm going to fast forward the story at midnight. They praise God, and the chains fall, the, uh, the doors open, and they make their way out of the prison. But before they go, the, the Philippi jailer comes to know the Lord and all of his house. And we don't really know how much longer Paul stayed in Philippi, but we know there was an intense bond between the two. And Paul loved this unexpected place and this unexpected people deeply. Paul will write to as an unexpected leader, to an unexpected place, to an unexpected church with an unexpected theme joy, the book of Philippians. And I'm glad that God can still work through what we would view as unexpected. That the unexpected in our lives, God actually can work through. That oftentimes he works through who we don't expect, he works where we don't expect, he works when we don't expect, but he's still working whether we expect it or, or not because he can handle the unexpected. It continues, Paul will note that this letter is to all the saints who are at Philippi. He, he, didn't, he, he had such a passion for these people that he didn't wanna leave anybody out. This is, for, this is for all, this is for all of us. All of you at Philippi, this letter is for you, which shows Paul's humility because he viewed himself as bondservant. He says, I'm the servant, you're the saints. He showed his humility. He also showed his great love for the community of Philippi in that statement. But he also showed his declaration and in, in his confidence and his focus on God. Because he's willing to be a bondservant for Jesus Christ. He shows his humility. He shows his love for this community at Philippi. But he shows his devotion to his God too. Then he says this, for the bishops meaning the overseers and the deacons. He says, this is for the body. The saints, all the people, the bishops, the overseer. First, he'll, he'll say in First Timothy, I think it is First Timothy 3, verse 1 through 7, he'll lay out kind of the qualifications of that. We're not going to do that today. And then he says to the deacons, meaning the servants, he'll lay out the qualifications of that as well in First Timothy 3, uh, 8 through 14, I think, or uh, 8 through 13. But the focus was the whole body. So we got unexpected leaders, Paul and Timothy, unexpected place and an unexpected church, Philippi. And lastly, there's an unexpected bond. And we'll elaborate a little bit on this next week, a little bit more, but verse two says this, grace to you and peace from God, our father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This was Paul's common greeting that we know of, read out all most of his scriptures, but it was so, it's so significant, It's so rich. Grace would mean uh, Paul's prayer for unmerited favor. Peace would be the, the recipients of that unmerited favor. So grace, unmerited favor, peace is the result of the unmerited favor, favor. God's grace, God's saving grace through Jesus Christ. So his grace, I want unmerited favor for you. I wish that upon you, but peace, it's found through the peace of God. It's found through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's for those who has received this unmerited favor. It was a common, it was, it was a common a greeting. And we say, "Hey, what's up?" It was a common greeting for the life of Paul, but it was actually given by Jesus. in, in Luke, in, sorry, in John fourteen, Jesus was uh, Jesus was about to leave his followers, and he tells his followers that he's going to gift them the gift of peace. This is what he says in uh, Luke, or sorry, John fourteen: "Peace I leave with you. In my peace I give to you." Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, Troubled, neither let it be afraid. And the peace that Jesus leaves his followers with becomes the greeting of their speech. It's the peace of God. It's the peace that passes all understanding. And so there is peace. And so everything they did now shapes through the greeting of peace that the Lord left them. The gift of peace because they understood that in order for me to have joy, I need to have peace peace in this life. And so let me ask you this morning, do you have joy? Do you have joy? say, how do I know if I have joy? Well, do you have peace? How can I have peace? Well, there's really three ways that I see in the Bible, probably more, but we'll focus on three ways to have peace. And I kind of view them as steps. First of all, do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? John, or sorry, Romans. I keep saying the wrong passage of scripture this morning. Romans chapter five, verse one will tell us, this, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. How do we have peace with God? By being justified by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so do you, do you have peace with God? Has been a day when you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life? Do you have peace with God. When you have peace with God, uh, you should strive to have uh, peace with, with others. Uh, and so, uh, do you have peace with God? Has there been a time when when you've confessed with your mouth, you believed in your heart that Jesus wants to declare you righteous through repentance? And he wants to move in your midst. When Jesus died, he died for, for the remission of sins. When he rose, he, he, he solidified it. He proved it through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so now Romans tells us it's simple. Confess with your mouth and believe, and you can have peace. Do you have peace with God? Secondly, do you have peace with others? Do you have peace with others? Proverbs 16 says it this way. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. So do you have joy in your life? Well do you have peace in your life? Well, do you have peace with God or do you have peace with others? Do you have peace with others? Are you striving? Uh, to have peace with others. You know those people, when they walk into the room, everybody just uh, lights up. Everybody just likes being around those types of people. There's just that person you know. Not everybody's like it, but there's that person you know where where, uh, everybody kind of wants to flock around them because they just have peace in life. That's what we're called to be as believers. So do you have peace with God? And because of your peace with God, you should have peace with others. And then the last thing is this, you should have peace within. We'll, we'll touch on it. Philippians 4 says it this way. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Why? For the peace of God surpasses all understanding and will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. You could say it this way. Where there's peace, there will be joy. Where there's peace, there will be joy. It starts with peace with God. It reflects to peace with others. But you also need peace within. A life of, of joy is a life of peace. And before we really dive in to the book of Philippians next week, I want to encourage you if you haven't believed, believe. Believe that in, without Christ there is no joy, but only in Christ can there be joy, only through a passionate pursuit. Uh, of Jesus that, and so when I pursue him it doesn't matter what my life brings me because I want to follow him no matter what the best life to live is a life of following Jesus so believe do you believe secondly I would say this renew joy in your life maybe there's some habitual sins that are in your life maybe there's unconfessed sins maybe you're holding on to to some bondage you're holding on to some bitterness some pain points some some frustrations in life and, and you need to renew joy so that you can let God in and let God cleanse and let God uh, live a life of joy. Joy in the Lord is solely from the strength of his hands. So let him move, let him work, let him take what you're holding and let him release the chains and release the bondage, renew joy, and then walk in peace. Walk in peace. Peace with God, peace with other, peace of God. Peace with God, peace with others, Because you have the peace of God. And so I live a life of joy, not because my life is good, but because of Christ within me. Would you pray with me? Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'll help us. As we introduce the book of Philippians, a lot of of things happen to prep and to prepare and to plan for the writing of the book of Philippians. I can't imagine it as Paul's in a jail cell pinning some words, writing his heart. Lord, I pray that we'll remember the joy of the Lord as we look in the pages of this book. Lord, I pray that we'll remember the joy of the Lord this week. Lord, I pray that someone's in here that does not know you, Lord. May they come to faith. I pray that if someone's in here and they need to renew joy, that they renew joy so that they can passionately and purposely follow you. And I pray if someone's in here, they need to have peace. Pray that they'll find peace in you. May they renew peace with others. And may they live out the peace that passes all understanding found in the joy of the Lord. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen.